streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show through the television in some way, have them go to www.hotm.tv, and they can watch Heart of the Matter live streaming video from anywhere in the world. They can also see any show that we have done in the past through our archives as well as access the notes to the show. So we want to make you aware of that. I received an email from our partner in Norway, Andreas, who has taken it upon himself, just wrote me a couple years ago and said, hey, can I put segments of Heart of the Matter on the internet? We said, sure. So by his own volition, Andreas uh, did that. He reports to me that 1,500 segments of Heart of the Matter are viewed every single day around the world, and that 500 of those views each day are from new viewers. So we thank Andreas for his labor and praise God for this exposure. I was a born-again Mormon is out of print temporarily. We're working on a third printing as we speak. You might be able to find copies available still at Gift of Grace Christian Supply in Springville, Utah Lighthouse Ministries, utlm.org, Christian Gift and Bible, Lifeway Books in Murray, New Life Books in Layton, Oasis Books in Logan, um, and online. If you have ordered a book uh, through us, you will receive one. If you have requested a free copy of the book up till this day, uh, March 10th, 2009, one will be on the way. Pray we will be in a position shortly to get more books out to you. Remember, we meet every Sunday afternoon for Bible study class here in Utah at 2.30 at the U of U, then at 7 p.m. at Utah State. I teach that course uh, every week. We go verse by verse, www.calvarycampus.com for more information. This coming Thursday night, I will be a guest on What Love Is This? hosted by Doris Hansen right here on TV20. Doris usually talks about polygamy, and sometimes I get a bit flustered on that topic, so we should have fun. Years ago, I was speaking in Salt Lake City, and um, some, a group of sister wives came from southern Utah, and they were at this, this seminar that I was speaking at, and uh, somebody introduced them to me. It was in the morning, and I walked in, and there were 18 women, all dressed in their polygamous outfits, and... Uh, and I stepped in and I just said, all right, which one's making breakfast? And it just did not go over well at all. So um, anyway, it should be fun. That is What Love Is This? This Thursday night, 8 p.m. with Doris Hansen uh, on TV20. Uh, 
So tune in. Now listen up to this very important explanation. Are you ready? I'm getting more and more emails every day, mostly from Christian believers who are concerned about my ahem, appearance. Uh, they, these comments range in the emails from saying, you're much too handsome to look like that, to do you think the Lord would be pleased with your attire, your hair, your clothing? You will reach more LDS if you are clean cut in your appearance. So let me once again quickly lay out the methods for this madness. First and foremost, we are not out to impress the stalwart LDS people. Please understand this. Unless there is an invasive act of God in their lives, I could be dressed like Thomas Monson with a general conference set in those plastic things here in front of me, and that, nothing's going to impress them. So we speak to them, we'll pray for them, but we leave them... Uh, in the end, to them working on themselves, becoming gods. Our hearts are very interested, however, in those people who, for whatever reason, cannot embrace Mormonism, but are trapped in it by birth, by family, by culture, by occupation, uh, whatever it is. These are they who, seem, who see some of the LDS doctrines as ridiculous, but don't know what to do about it. These are the people who might enjoy tobacco, or coffee, or alcohol, or uh, they don't fit in with the socioeconomic demands of being referred to as a stalwart Mormon. Often these are people who are even behind bars. Often these are people who are rebellious or who stand in outward opposition to Mormonism, but are left spiritually dead because they don't know what else to do. So now these types would never stop and listen to somebody who has that appearance because they've seen that their whole life. Secondly, I personally have uh, some biblical heroes that I have always loved. If you've been to a Bible study that we do, you would have heard me talk about these biblical heroes. And in the New Testament, my bottom line biblical hero is John the Baptist. Now, Jesus Christ is not my biblical hero. Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God, I worship him. But as far as men go, I resonate and love John the Baptist. And he, when he came, he came in opposition to the set and accepted religious form of his day. Uh, the religionists dressed in fine clothing, he wore camel's hair. Uh, they ate fine foods, he ate grasshoppers. Uh, they were groomed to the max, he never cut his beard or his hair. Um, they were politically suave. He was in their kitchen saying exactly how they were. So in light of present day Mormonism, in light of present day Mormonism, my appearance mirrors John the Baptist. I hope this will put the kibosh on the issue for a while. 2010 will in all uh, probability bring a new look. At times we need clarity on what the difference is between Christians and those people who choose to join or follow cults. From Dr. Reed, prominent French professor of all things grand, we get an inspired definition. Ready? Quote, when there is a conflict between the teachings of an individual and the Bible, a cultist will always choose the individual where the Christian will always choose the Bible. I think that's an excellent definition. What do you choose? The person 
the man, the woman, or the Bible? How about a moment in LDS history? On March 31st, 1882, President John Taylor closed the church historian's office to the public. Hmm. Very interesting. I see a reason behind keeping records of counseling with people confidential. I see probably not any other reason within a religious institution to keep any records confidential. Financial, history, journals. So when a religion chooses to make something uh, not public, you have to wonder why. Well, last week I certainly caused no small stir uh, with my commentary on the passing of Utah businessman Larry H. Miller. We received a lot of emails from LDS people who were never inclined to write before who condemning my thoughts on Brother Miller's self-assigned legacy of being a man who loved Utah. Now we can sit here and go back and forth on all the sides of ish all the issues relative to Larry H. Miller's uh, chosen motto for himself, but I would like to get to the heart of the matter on this issue right away. If you are a faithful Latter-day Saint who is familiar with Larry H. Miller's story, you know as well as I know, that Mormonism was a reoccurring subtext in all that Larry said and did. And you embraced the subtext of his religious life to your own glory and personal uh, gratification. You loved Larry H. Miller, not because he was successful, but because he was a successful Mormon. One of your own, when the Jazz were in the playoffs and Brother Miller allowed them to play on Sunday and he allowed people to buy his concessions on Sunday, but Larry himself, a faithful Mormon, would not attend the games because he obeyed the Sabbath, you cheered in your heart and you reveled in the attention the media gave to Larry's dedication to the faith you embrace. You love the fact that one of your own a man who believed in golden plates and pearls of great price and becoming a god owned a professional sports team and that people the world over would associate your strange faith with his person and his success. However, you go absolutely bonkers because I used Larry Miller's example and it didn't serve your pet cause. The Larry Miller issue is not unique. LDS people love, love, to hold their rich and famous up as examples to the world because it somehow helps validate their own membership and collective acceptance in the Mormon story. I mean, if Gladys Knight and Steve Young and Mitt Romney and the Osmonds and Eldridge Cleaver and David Archuleta and the Jeopardy whiz, kids, whiz guy uh, believed in golden plates, you, by mere association, don't feel so gullible, do you? Mormons love, promote, and use their heroes. But to be fair, Mormons are not alone in this practice. All groups love their rich and famous because they create pride and validation among the rabble, and they make for great bait in the proselytizing of others. Look what the Jackson 5 did for the Jehovah's Witnesses until Michael kind of went nuts. Look at what Tom Cruise and John Travolta have done for Scientology. 
But if we really examine Christianity, what Jesus said and taught folks, it has never been about the accomplished, the rich, or the famous, which are the very things Mormonism elevates, promotes, and respects today. Look at the 12 apostles. Look at Jesus' life and the circumstances of his life. Then look at the 12 apostles of Mormonism today and look at their life and look at their circumstances. With Jesus, it was always the opposite. Let me read this uh, verse to you. But God has chosen, you've heard it before, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence, end quote. No matter how hard you try, you cannot, within the whole of Christianity, justify the Mormon attitude, culture, or even doctrine regarding their approbation of loving the things of this world. The Lord was clear to those who somehow believe their material status can be equated to holiness or greatness when he said in Luke, Woe unto you that are rich, meaning those who make riches their life, for you have received your consolation. And with that, Let's have a prayer. Lord, we love you. We need you. And uh, pray for your spirit to be with me, our audience here in studio, in the televised world, in the YouTube world. And uh, help me to say the things that will be pleasing to get these points across and to listen and communicate with callers. Let our viewing audience, let these seeds of you uh, sink into their hearts and take root. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've spent the last two weeks discussing the dissociate mind of Joseph Smith. Dr. William Moraine examines some horrific events that occurred in the childhood of Joseph Smith and suggests these traumatic experiences led the boy to take the trauma and lock it away in an un unknown part of his brain, a process that he calls dis dissociation. The theory is that the stuff locked away in the brain underlies as a sort of psychic guide most of what a person thinks and does for the remainder of their life. We've given the example of Stephen King, how he had a horrific experience, which he can't recall at four years old, where his friend was dismembered by a train, how he walked around not knowing that anything had happened, and how he has become a prolific writer of horror. Dr. Moraine suggests that the major themes that come from the childhood trauma of Joseph Smith were swords, especially swords wielded by men, violence, amputation and dismemberment, blood on white cloth, on garments, on sheets, and a sexuality that was tied to imminent danger. We talked about that last week in relation to Joseph Smith taking on so many secret wives, young teenage wives, kept from Emma in, in a fiery environment of, of witch hunt trying to find out if Mormons were really practicing this or not. All these things, plus some others, created a subliminal, subliminal imagery with which Joseph created his religion. Tonight I'm going to briefly outline supportive evidence for this theory as we complete this examination and move on next week into Brigham Young and into the rest of present-day Mormon history. 
Now, last week, we mentioned that people with dissociated minds will often fall into pale-faced, trance-like states when tapping into these unknown areas of their brains. And we had a number of doctors, uh, present-day doctors, say this is what happens. This is how they look when they go to that part of their life. Historic testimony from the family and friends of Joseph Smith support this. In fact, while translating the Book of Mormon, Emma, Joseph's first wife, said, quote, One time when he was translating, he suddenly stopped pale again as a sheet and said, Emma, did Jerusalem have walls around it? When I answered yes, he replied, oh, I was afraid I had been deceived. What is really funny about this story is that when it's told to LDS children and in LDS meeting houses, most people sit there and they say, wow, he really must have been a prophet. He really must have been translating. But just think about this. Joseph Smith had read and heard the Bible taught all of his life. There are a minimum of 14 verses in the Bible in key chapters of the Bible that Joseph Smith definitely knew that actually used the term wall of Jerusalem and walls of Jerusalem. And there are even whole stories that are told about rebuilding this wall. I would suggest that here, in order to keep his own wife convinced that he was actually seeing or reading about Jerusalem, he tossed in a little con game. And he, by asking her, Emma, were there walls around Jerusalem? And, when she, and then she, in a moment of experiencing some educational superiority, responds, yes, there were, Joseph. Then he validates the con by stating that what she is saying complies with what he just saw in that hat. This is the material of a con job, plain and simple. I'm not suggesting that Joseph Smith always operated by virtue of a con. Um, evidence supports that much of what he did came from the dissociated portion of his mind. For example, people always ask and send emails, how did Joseph Smith write the Book of Mormon? This is the grand question. And from what I can tell, it came from a conglomeration of themes he either consciously and or unconsciously incorporated into the text by himself and or with the help of others like his father, Oliver Cowdery, Sidney Rigdon, these uh, other men who had literary skill. The sources of these themes include Ethan Smith's view of the Hebrews, it includes anti-Masonic themes from his day and age. It includes themes of American nationalist positions, which were very popular in the 19th century. It includes themes from his own family, the Smith family, American Indian theories, a vast amount of biblical themes, which he stole and replaced and put in there verbatim, uh, and direct answers to prevalent religious issues made popular by restorationists like Alexander Campbell. But it is the subliminal themes from his dissociated mind that we are discussing tonight. One such theme is that of the father figures in the Book of Mormon. Dr. Moraine suggests that Joseph's ambivalence toward his own father was expressed by his splitting him in two separate characters, both beginning with the letter L at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, Lehi and Laban. In fact, Joseph actually in the Book of Mormon ties Lehi and Laban together through their genealogy that he supposedly sees on these brass plates. 
Both Lehi and Laban are not really literary characters. They're wooden characters to represent something. Lehi is a man of goodness, a man who does everything right. And Laban represents the ultimate form of evil. In, La in fact, it's Laban's intemperance. It's his drunkenness, which Joseph Smith's own father had a problem with that ultimately took the, ended the life of Laban when Joseph went back, I mean, when Nephi went back and killed him, cutting his head off. This decapitation or dismemberment occurs early in the narrative and is carried throughout the Book of Mormon in addition to much of what Joseph did as a man outside of the Book of Mormon narrative. But it is Laban's sword, symbolic of a knife-wielding doctor, who operated on Joseph Jr. as a child that is then taken into the hands of Nephi, a name that if you look at it, N-E-P-H-I, uh, and Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H-J-O-S-E-P-H. They have the same letters both in there. And he said, this is just perfect and it happens throughout subliminal stuff that's coming from the recesses of his mind. Even Nephi, the character that represents Joseph, has part, a great portion of his name therein. He, Joseph, Nephi goes and he takes this sword of Laban and it's used as a symbol of power in the Book of Mormon narrative. And it's passed on to other Book of Mormon heroic characters throughout to use. It's also passed on mythically or metaphysically to Joseph Smith himself in the latter years of his life. It's also by mistake, or it is not by mistake, that this sword of Laban is wielded by every Book of Mormon hero. The leaving and returning, the leaving and returning from the seashore of Nephi back to Laban was simply Joseph's need to leave the seashore of his youth and return and face, even decapitate, the drunken father who had wounded him so many years before. In the Book of Mormon, Joseph, through his dissociated genius, was able to return to the Smith home, kill the evil aspects of his father through the character Laban, then returned to the good father, Lehi, who waited at the sea and led his family to an exodus from their old life into the new. The decapitation of Laban is, the is only the first of the dismemberment theme that is found throughout the Book of Mormon. Moraine suggests that this all is perfectly fitting into Joseph's trauma in the back of his head. When Book of Mormon character Ammon stands up to his evil father in the Book of Mormon, his father extends his arm with a sword to stop Ammon. And what does Ammon do? Quote, smote off his arm and he could not use it. Ammon, who is like the dismemberment king in the Book of Mormon, then meets a band of ruffians who approach him with clubs. And what does Joseph have Ammon do? Quote, smote off as many of their arms as were lifted against him. And then he went to the king, bearing all the arms he smote off with the sword. Dr. Moraine says this stuff is straight from the post-surgical fantasies a young boy would construct, especially with Oedipal complex. When Book of Mormon Lamanites execute a counterattack, Joseph wrote that they did smite off many of their arms and even, quote, took off scalps with a swing of the sword. 
Themes of swords, cutting, knives, and bloodletting all originate from Joseph's traumatized mind. It is not by any mistake that Joseph incorporated the Masonic rites of slashing and cutting into his temple ceremonies, or that when first introduced to the endowment, men and women had the mark found in the garment over their knee actually cut into their flesh so that they would have a scar at the same place where Joseph's started. It wasn't until women complained that Joseph realized he could only drop the masses so far into his personally dissociated uh, trauma. The white garment, which used to be ever so symbolically trimmed in red based on Joseph's instructions. Did you know that? The white garments had a trim of red all around the seams. Uh, tie the sheets and the blood of his memories to the experience he had as a kid. Without revealing the words of the temple rites themselves out of a desire not to offend uh, so as to turn people away, there are ample references to the elements of Joseph Smith's childhood trauma once again introduced to the minds and lives of unsuspecting Latter-day Saints who go through the temple. These include, in part, commands to be clean from the blood uh, of generations, to have garments washed uh, from the blood, uh, to have garments made white, clean, and pure, to have arms strong enough to wield swords, for there to be marrow in the bones, which is taken from the Bible, of flaming swords, which are also taken biblically. There was even a time when a preacher would appear in the temple film. I went through the temple film when this happened. And when he's questioned by the, some apostles in the temple film, he explains to these apostles that Lucifer told him, quote, we should, we should have no more apostles. And if any should come along professing to be an apostle, I should ask them to cut off a leg or cut off an arm and then put it on again just to show that they have come with power. Now, you know, when I went through the temple and I heard that preacher say that, that the thing that they should do to prove that they're an apostle is to cut off a leg or cut off an arm. As stalwart as I was trying to be, I was like, what the heck is, what is this about? Now I know. The image, use, and power of sword was not only used to exert power by Book of Mormon heroes, but the sword of Laban imagery was passed on to Joseph Smith himself. In a letter to a friend in 1839, an LDS defender, having become a living part of Joseph's dissociated fantasy, wrote regarding the defense of Missouri and said, quote, Come design and fight for the religion of Jesus. Many a hoary head is engaged here. The prophet, speaking of Joseph Smith, goes out to the battle as in the days of old. He has the sword of Laban that Nephi took from Laban. Is not this marvelous? Later in life, Joseph began to literally actually use a sword as an emblem of his power. In the history of the church, B.H. Roberts uh, has Joseph Smith dressed in full military regalia, unsheath his sword at his side, raise it to the heavens. Well, there's a picture of that in downtown Salt Lake, and Joseph Smith cries, I call God and angels to witness that I have unsheathed my sword with a firm and unalterable determination that this people shall have their legal rights. Finally, as both authors Moraine and Brody point out, Joseph viewed himself in the end as having become an actual sword himself in or shaft in the hand of God. 
in a speech that reveals many of the elements of his ego, characters, fears, dislikes, and dissociated mind combined, Joseph stood at a pulpit in May of 1833 and blasted, I am like a huge rough stone rolling down from a high mountain, and the only polishing I get is when some corner gets rubbed off by coming in contact with something else, striking with accelerated force against religious bigotry, priestcraft, lawyercraft, doctorcraft, lying editors, suborned judges, and jurors. And we'll come back in a second. Sometimes the most difficult thing in the world is finding someone who cares. There are times when you need a good friend, but finding one isn't easy unless you look in the right places. Like our church, it's full of people who care, people who know how to love and support each other, people who draw strength from Jesus. Let me read that quote to you again, okay? Joseph said in May of 1843, standing in a pulpit, I am like a huge rough stone rolling down from a high mountain, and the only polishing I get is when some corner gets rubbed off by coming in contact with something else, striking with accelerated force against religious bigotry, priestcraft, lawyercraft, doctorcraft, lying editors, suborned judges and jurors, and the authority of perjured executives, backed by mobs, blasphemers, licentious and corrupt men and women, all hell knocking off a corner here and a corner there. Thus I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty, who will give me dominion over all and every one of them. Interestingly enough, in honor of his 100-year birth, uh, a great polished shaft, 38 and a half feet tall, one foot for every year of Joseph's life, was erected in 1905 in Sharon, Vermont, Joseph Smith's birthplace. At one time, a sign was posted there which fittingly advertised the memorial to the founder of Mormonism. It said, visit Joseph Smith Monument, world's largest polished shaft. Dr. Moraine believes that this is the truest monument to Joseph Smith's life and that he would have loved it. Let's go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Please have your TV turned down or off all the way down. The first voice you hear once the operator has cleared you will be mine. If you are caught unawares and we have to wait for you, we got to move on. I hope you understand. Don't want to be mean, but that just keeps it going. We're going to Daniel in Farmington. Daniel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Uh, this is Daniel from Farmington. We've met before. I came down to the show. Hi, Daniel. Uh, I actually have written my thing down so I can read it because, you know, I tend to talk a little too much. Um, basically, here it goes. Uh Kind of on the same note of science. Uh, first off, I love science because it helps us find Daniel? Out. Can you hear me? We can't hear you too well. How long is what you've written, my friend? Oh, it's not long. It's probably a paragraph or so. Okay, let's do it. It's to keep it brief because you know I talk. Go ahead. Um, I like science uh, because it helps us find out about the unknown. It's kind of like how you've been studying psychology concerning Joseph Smith. I have a cousin back east. The Holiness Church of God pastor, I was telling him that the Book of Mormon has references to horses in the Americas around 600 A.D. I told him that you do not have to go to anti-Mormon websites to find out that that is wrong. The Museum of American History says that horses became extinct 10,000 years ago. He then really interrupted me 
and uh, saying that that could not be because the world is only 7,000 years old. I politely said that we would have to agree to disagree, and that's hard for me to do because I like to debate. But uh, I was, he went on to say that if I do not believe in the 7,000-year uh, timeline, that I do not believe you in know what? I, You know what, uh, Daniel, I'm really sorry, but just for continuity's sake, email me or, or, or call again, but we can't hear. There's something wrong with our audio, and, and I don't think we're getting the message through, but we'll try us back, please. Can I ask you one quick question, though? Yeah. Um, and this is easy, real short. Can I um, ask you? The Mormons say that God came to the Americas, you know, around 600 A.D. Now, that's way past the time that he, he left from his resurrection. So, theoretically, is that not a second coming? And if it is, wouldn't they be waiting on a third coming instead of a second coming? Okay, they, didn't, they don't say that he came to the Americas 600 A.D., Okay, well, from my understanding, it seems that that, you know, you, you ask most people and you say, when was the Book of Mormon, around what time did all these things yeah. happen? And they say around 600 A.D. But what, what does it say in the Bible that Christ did after, you know, after he was resurrected? Right, he ascended to his Father, which is in heaven. You're right. It would technically be, you are exactly right, a second coming. Okay. So but the Mormons would say it's the first coming to the people in the American continent, and then they would probably use Paul's experience on the road to Damascus as a second coming argument too. Okay. Yeah. Well, so but then, but then theoretically, they are waiting on a third coming and not a and not a second coming. I guess theoretically that would be true. Okay. All right, my brother. You take care. All right, you too. God bless. Bye bye. We're going to Jack. We're going to Lynette in South Jordan. She is XL, or she's at LDS actually. Uh, Lynette, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. You're on the air, my my friend. Okay. Lynette. Yes. You're on the air. Hi, this is Lynette from South Jordan. Hi. Hi. Turn your TV down, Lynette. Okay. I'm gonna have patience with you because you're LDS. If you're a Christian, I'd be so rude. Okay, what's going on? Well, I mean, this is the first time I've seen you, and I guess I'm just really surprised that you take the time and energy and research to put down another religion when you could be building up your own religion and helping other people. Yeah. And we, you know, and you're not going to see Mormons picketing other religions. Okay, stop. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, you got to stop there and let me comment, and then you can go on, okay? Jo Mormonism is founded on Joseph Smith saying that God told him that all Christian faiths are an abomination, that their creeds are an abomination. When Mormon missionaries, 60,000 strong, go out into this world and knock on doors, Lynette, they tell people there is no true Christian church on the face of this earth but ours. The rest of them are false. So they may not publicly do it on television, but they certainly do it through their own methods. We have an article of faith that says that, that we claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. And you know what that means? It means that you are not going to take in your hands the right to take life or enchain or enslave somebody because of their religious practice. But it does not stop Latter-day Saints. This was your original point that Latter-day Saints never, ever pick on any other faith. That is untrue. 
Well, I've been LDS all my life, and I have never heard people put down other religions. They care about people. Okay, you, like how old are you, Lynette? I'm sorry, what? How old are you? 55. Okay, did you go through the temple? I did. Can I ask you, was there a preacher in the temple, in the film? Yes. This, this isn't against your covenants to reveal this, Lynette. Was that preacher, a Protestant preacher, in the employ of Satan? I don't know. He was, because your memory is being selective now. And Satan employed him, and that Protestant preacher represents all of Christianity in the film. You're not answering my question, though. I'm answering I'm, it completely. I'm, I'm trying to figure out why you would put down the Mormon church when we don't put down other, okay. other churches. Okay, I just explained to you that you do put down other churches in many devious, sinister ways. But let me answer your question. Why do I do what I do? My wife, my brother, my sister, my parents, my in-laws, my children even, on by record, my friends, the people of this state, have all been beguiled and have not been represented with truth by leaders that they trust. And so I go to the time and energy to try to help them. And guess what? We see people who come out and they have a relationship with Jesus Christ directly and they just put all this stuff behind them. And what they say to us is, we are free. Thank you for helping us be free. This is why we go to this trouble, Lynette. I, I'm just, I'm amazed. Well, good. Keep watching. Keep watching. In fact, you can go to our archives, HOM.TV, uh, HOTM.TV. Wouldn't it be better for you just to help other people and build we, up your own religion that you believe in? We do. I, I teach the Bible every week. I, uh, we have a show with our ministry, does another show. It just teaches the Bible. But we don't helps, talk about it Mormonism. Helps you, it makes you feel good about yourself to put down. This doesn't make me feel good about myself, okay? I don't feel good about myself. I just know what the Lord has put on my heart. I was LDS 40 years, Lynette. If you know the facts and you come to me and say, I know all the facts you're talking about and I still embrace Mormonism, I'd have a lot more respect for you. But you're 55 years old. You've been in a religion that you have said, we just do this and this and it's all so wonderful. Go to utlm.org. Check out the facts. Then call me and say, okay, I've done the research. I've heard it all. I know how many wives Joseph Smith had. I know that I have to do this and this and this in order to be saved. Jesus is not enough in my religion. This I know and I accept it. I would have more respect for the call. But I know from the call right now, by your response to me, you haven't investigated it at all. You might say you will in order to respond, but you haven't. Because if you had, you would come to a crisis of faith and you would say, I either am going to believe nothing or I'm going to believe Jesus and you'll leave the faith. Well, I will never leave the faith. What, when you've already made that decision, doesn't that scare you? No. Okay, well, no, of course I, not. I will never leave the faith. This is, the, 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 this is everything I believe in, and I believe in Christ Jesus, and that he loves everybody. The devils believe in Christ, too, honey. The devils believe in Christ, too. The devil does believe in Christ. The devil does. I mean, even the devils believe. That's scriptural. I, I just hope you will take a minute. Prove me wrong, okay? Listen to the things I say. Besides the way I do it, just take the things I say and prove me wrong. I, I don't need to. Of I've course already not. Proved, I've already proved. That's why I'm calling. How have you proved it, Lynette? I've, I've proved it with the things that I know in my heart. Okay. How do you and know I them? Free. How do you know them, Lynette? Because I've had miracles in my life. By the miracles you know them? have happened to me. 
Okay, wait a second. And I can tell by talking to you that you're really not interested. No, I am interested. That's why I'm taking the time to talk to you. Wait a second. By the miracles you've experienced in your life, you know that Mormonism is true? Absolutely. Okay. Do you believe that miracles uh, occur in uh, people who are Islam? Do, the, do miracles occur by the hand of God in Islam's life? Yes. Does that make Islam true? It makes Jesus Christ true. Okay. That's fine. I agree with the, the fact that Jesus Christ is true. Since you've introduced this now, I'm going to follow he, the he rabbit trail. He loves, wait. he loves everybody. Wait, wait, wait. You, you brought in Jesus Christ. He's true. Is this the Jesus Christ who is created being? Who was, conceived, uh, who was conceived by a father with relationships with Mary? Is this Jesus Christ who's the brother of Satan, the spiritual brother to me and you? Or is this Jesus Christ who is the God of everything? Both. Which, which one both. is it, Lynette? It's both. It's both. Uh -huh. Oh, gosh. Lynette, when you grow up in a faith where you can say, I know, from five years of age at a podium, and you go through your whole life saying, I know the church is true, there's no reason for you to ever look outside of it. They've built it into the way you've been trained. Take a minute and examine the facts. I, just, well, I was just calling because I was trying to figure out why you'd take so much time and energy and research to put down another faith. Do you understand better now? To build up your own faith. No. You don't understand better now? No. Okay, what do I need to do to, to, to restate it so you'll understand? It just seems to me like you would be trying to get converts to your church, build them, build them up, and help other people. I am. And help them, help them by giving and sharing and loving. And okay, let me ask you that. Kicking somebody else's okay. religion around. All right, Lynette. That's not that's not Christianity. Lynette. And that's not the way that we we treat other people. Lynette. We care about other people. We care about other people's Lynette, religion. We care about other people's creativity. Care, I, gave you, I gave you how Mormonism does it, but you're, not, you're ignoring that. But let's, so let's go to Jesus. Jesus sat at a well with a Samaritan woman. They believed they had the right temple. The Samaritans had a, had a different religion. And, and he very clearly let her know that there was a thing that she didn't understand. Now, would that be considered rude of him to say that her way was incorrect and his was right? Christ's way was right. Okay, but you allowed him to do that. When he talked to the Pharisees, and when he said that they were vipers, and when he said that they were, they were whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones, strong language, was that right for Jesus to do when it came to correcting their improper religious views? Did you hang up? He, no, I didn't. He just always wanted to help people. And if as individuals... I want to help them too. And it's by, it's by this approach that we help Latter-day Saints hear what your church will not tell you. Okay. That's wrong. You're just making me sorry that I called now. Because I was not, a, uh, not prepared for this call. I'm glad I'm making you heard, sorry you called in a way. Because me... Look it. I'm asking you to test it out. There's nothing I need to test. I've had a whole life of tests. And I know what I know. You know and what it, you know what you know. Yes. What can I say to that? The, 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 the Muslims know what they know. The people in Waco, they knew what they knew. Everybody knows what they know. Who's right? And Lynette? we respect their free agency. We don't go around and pick out other you, churches. Again, do I have to rephrase what I stated at the beginning? You do go around. I'm sorry. 
You do. Your missionaries go around and they teach people, unsuspecting people, not only that Christianity is false and fell away and fell into apostasy, but that they are true and they're the only true is not church. False. What? Christianity is not false. Uh, you're we're, Christian. We're, we're Christians. Your Christianity. Right? All, all of our Christianity. Okay. Will you, will you not be so vague here? This game is really ridiculous. If we could have the time, I could pull out from you that ultimately, isn't Mormonism the only true church on the face of the earth? It is. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, this is all just, this the is just talk, are good, Lynette. and we work together with them, and we do things with them. You do things with the Christians, so that makes, that makes you Christian, too. Because you do things. You'll go out and you'll pack up sandbags to stop the flood. And so, because Mormons do that with the Christian church in a community that makes you Christian. I hate to tell you this, but it's the doctrine that makes a person Christian. It is the belief in the manual, Lynette. It is not the belief in four manuals or in continued revelation from prophets that are against what the Bible says. I mean, you're talking all the right words for a Mormon, but none of it makes sense to the Christian ear. And I want you to know I love you. And I do this because I love you. And I do it because I love my brothers and sisters who are LDS. And I, I, I understand your heart. Trust me, I was there 40 years. I understand your heart. It's like in Romans chapter 10 where Paul says, they have a heart for God, but they think they can please him by their own works and righteousness. You can't, Lynette. You can't. This is why I do what I do. It, it just amazes me that you just don't help people. I help people. I tried to my best here, here of my ability. You have ability. this television show, and you're reaching out to people, and you're talking to them, and you're just putting people down instead of reaching into their hearts and really, really helping them and helping them to find the Lord. No, I actually do help them find the Lord. We have the emails and correspondence to show it. It's just that in this way, it's appalling to you because you're having the faith that you've bought into your whole life attacked. And it's causing you to think. And that think causes discomfort. And that discomfort causes rage against the guy in the machine. No, I'm not... It's, I, it's uncomfortable I don't have rage. I just have confusion that you would, you know, do this when... Well, I, I'll tell you what. I'll make a deal with you. I'll make a deal with you, Lynette. When the missionaries stopped saying that the Christianity was an abomination to God and is, and that Mormonism is the only true church, and that Mormonism is Christian, when the missionaries stop teaching those things door to door and your prophet announces it, I'll cancel the show that day. Announce it, I'll stop the show that day. Deal? I love you, my sister. You take care. All right. Everybody say a prayer in your heart for Lynette. Because as she continues on, you never know what, we'll, what kind of email we'll get from her someday. Let's go to Jack in Salt Lake City, line two. Jack, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jack. How are you? I just want to tell you I love your show. I can't, I, I can't believe Utah gives you airtime. I, I, so, I, I am so surprised. Utah doesn't. Uh, they don't? How do I get you? I'm in Salt Lake City. Well, you know, they used to have a control on everything. It was a theocracy, but it kind of 
in order to be accepted as a, as a state, they had to loosen up a bit. And so we don't have, uh, we don't have Danites taking out lives who, who go against the Mormons anymore. Okay, well, I love your show. Thanks, man. You know what? My, my, my kids go to school here, and uh, they have a hard time with all the Mormon kids. You know, if they, if they don't go to seminary and stuff, uh, you know, kids always, the Mormon kids always say, hey, you're going to go to hell, you know. And, and I've got to tell my kids that uh, I think that they will go, they'll go to hell if they go to that church. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I, I'm just saying I love your show. It's, it, it's hard for my kids to go to school because more, more, Mormon kids are rude. They're, they, 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 they're ignorant. They, they, you know, they, they treat my kids like crap just because they're not Mormon. This and, is totally uh, in contradiction to Lynette's last call. What's that? I said this is in total contradiction to Lynette's last call. Oh, I know, I know. That's what my, I, I couldn't hear that last because I was waiting for you. But my, my kids kept on telling me what she was saying. But uh, anyhow, uh, I love your show, Sean. I'm going to keep watching you. Uh, Jack. Uh, let me tell you, it's, it is hard to be, to be a non-Mormon in Utah, I'm, especially if you're going to public schools. And I, I think it should be against law to have seminaries at a public school because I think it should be against, I think it should be a, a, a separation of church and state. I don't think they should have seminaries in school. I, 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 I don't think that's right. Uh, well, Jack, let me, uh, let me ask two things and then give you a statement. One, uh, have you thought of a private Christian school or have you thought of homeschooling? Are you in a position you to do You know what, I've been living in Utah my life with Mormons and uh -huh. religion scares the hell out of me. Because of Mormons. Well, we need to keep talking. That's one thing. And uh, the, the, uh, I, I think let's just carry on our dialogue. Will you email me, Jack? Put in the uh, byline, hey, I'm the guy who called your show, and we'll, we'll start a conversation with each other. Okay. All right, my friend. You take care. Hey, you too. Keep your show going on, man. I love it. Thanks, Jack. See ya. Bye-bye. We're going to uh, Carolyn in Salt Lake City. Carolyn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. I don't know if I should call you Mr. or Sean. Sean. Sean, hello. The Honorable, Kitty. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not Mormon. You sound like my so wife now. You're not Mormon, so I'm not going to treat you like you think you're a saint. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> well, God be with you. I discovered your program on the rerun this morning, and I was just elated to hear the truth finally being spoken in such a public forum and I'm so glad they didn't censor this and I just wanted to let you know my circumstance turned from very happy to tragic because of this I won't call them LDS I can't I don't believe they're saints. Saints do not practice bigotry. And I don't know how you spent all those years being one, but I'm glad that you're born again. Um, I'm a Roman Catholic, born, raised, and did all the things. I married a man in the Catholic Church, and he had to sign a, um, an agreement as a non-Christian from a Mormon family um, to marry me in the Catholic Church. And my priest 
opened up the dictionary, looked up Gentile in the Webster's dictionary, and explained to him, no, you're not a Christian. I'm very sorry. And that was the beginning of what I saw as the bigotry and the hatred coming from my now former mother-in-law. I'm divorced because of the teachings of this Hmm. cult. And um, I have an 11-year-old son whom is Catholic, and he was baptized. He's had his first communion, and um, he's now supposed to be going to CCD, you know, catechism, Sunday school, for um, his confirmation. And I am being blocked at every turn, even though it's my son's wishes to carry on in Catholicism. And, you know, once he's at the age that he's, you know, 18 or so, he may choose differently. Mm -hmm. However, he's choosing to be confirmed. And I have recently found out on Ash Wednesday, after Mass, I brought my son to school, and due to an illness of my father, Dr. Leo Party, um, I can't afford an attorney anymore for eight years. My ex-husband's parents have been suing me for custody of my only child. Carolyn. Yeah. Uh, it's a tragic story. Can I give some uh, advice? Cause yes, we've got to keep it moving on. Yeah. Uh, you're a born-again Christian, praise God, and uh, you approach your son with the love and patience and long-suffering that Jesus has given you in your heart. And yes. you... Don't lash out, don't return evil with evil, but evil with good. And you continue to show your son by example that you are a woman of faith, you are a woman of love, and that you're a woman who loves the word and you don't buy into these religious institutional programs, whatever they, whatever form they take. Exactly. And in time, that boy, I, will, I, I, I can't promise you, but I would strongly suggest that that boy will come to appreciate what real Christianity is and fully come along aside with you? Well, I don't know what to do about the problem with his grandparents. Don't, don't even, don't even... They are stopping him from attending CCD. They're stopping him. They're trying to force him to go to the Mormon church. He does not want to go. They don't listen to his voice. And now I find out that their attorney has drawn up some paperwork that I did not know about saying that I'm not allowed to go to parent-teacher conferences. Carolyn, I'm, I'm sorry. This, this, this problem is far too complex. That's for why I wanted to open up a dialogue with you and was wondering... Email, if, email me and we'll see if we can get some people who are uh, in that area to help you out. That would be... So wonderful. Okay, email me and uh, just go to the website, hotm.tv. I love this program. God bless you, my sister. Uh, God bless you, too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. We're going to uh, Dean in uh, Kearns. Oh, gosh, running out of time. Dean, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yeah, hey, I was actually calling about uh, the Mormon religion. Ain't it a cult that, don't it say in the Holy Bible, 
that um, <clears throat> excuse me, any religion that uses more than two two books to read out of is a cult. <laughs> yeah, what what? <laughs> I can't remember the passage. I think that was uh, no. It's not in there. It doesn't say that. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible that allude to what a cult would do and, and the practices of men and putting men over God and all those things, Dean. Uh, but that, that passage is not in the Bible. But uh, they have a, a lot, a lot of uh, cultic practices. They're totalistic methodologies that they use to control their, uh, their members. The members don't even know it. And yeah. uh, so we can talk about that, but it's a good question. Thanks for the call. We're going to Sean on line two. Sean, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hey, uh, I just want to comment on, uh, on LDS, uh -huh. how they teach that we are the only true church. You know, I just can't believe that they'd actually go on teaching people that. Now that I'm older and have explored a couple different churches, you know, I know that the LDS is not the only true church. And so I just wanted to make my comment on that. Hey, praise hey, God, Sean. I hope your family and your friends, they, they see this, they hear this through the show, you, and Christianity really embodies Mormonism and not just the appearance. Yes. And we're going, thanks so much, we're going finally, Dan, an atheist in Ogden. Dan, you've only got a minute. No, I'm not an atheist, I'm agnostic, but uh, oh. I was going to ask you, uh, do you believe in faith? Do I believe in what? Faith. F-A-T-E? Yes. No. Okay, I'm not faith, but faith, F-A-I-T-H. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, well, the Mormons are the same basis of thinking. They are a faith-based uh, religion, and I don't see how your thinking's any better than theirs. You're how, believing do you, how do you define faith? Uh, believing in something without evidence. Actually, that's contrary to what the Bible says. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, all right. Well, I'll let you, one other point here, one other uh, thing to ask you is what does it matter what someone believes as long as uh, they're in service of their fellow man? Isn't that where the rubber meets the road with religion? Good. If the rubber met the road by serving our fellow men, by being good people, by doing good things, and that would make us pleasing to God, then Jesus didn't need to come, and his blood was shed in vain. But that is not what does it, my friend. It is Jesus, and it's your faith and trust in him, and the imputation of his righteousness into you, and the spirit dwelling in you, that allows you to move forward and do the works of God. We're going to end this. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.